You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, I know I don't usually do this because we do this several times throughout the service, and I always do this at the end of service, but I would like to start today with just a word of prayer. So you guys pray with me. Lord, um, I just pray for our time together today. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for the next 30 to 40 minutes that you would give the people under the sound of my voice, those that are even watching online right now, ears to hear what it is you want to say to them. Lord, I pray against any kind of distraction in here. I pray if somebody's phone goes off that we supernaturally don't even hear it. God, I, I pray if, if, if a parent has a baby in here, Lord, we just we know Satan knows when to pinch babies in a church service. And so, God, I just pray that parents are mindful of those around them, that today's message is one that needs to be heard by so many that are in here. And so uh, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to massage the hearts of the people in here that need this message. God, I pray that you lead me to give a clear presentation today to be a mouthpiece for you. Help me not to manipulate um, or use some type of psychological tactics that would cause the opposite of what we're praying for today. We just love you, Lord. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Well, we're closing out the Sermon on the Mount series today. And uh, what an incredible series this has been. As in week one, Pastor Brandon did such a great job of talking about the Beatitudes. Uh, We've talked about what it means to be salt and light. Uh, We've talked about what true anger is. We've talked about lust. We've talked about uh, being a hypocrite and hypocriticalness. We've talked about judging people, what our prayers should look like. Last week, we talked about the golden rule. And so far, I don't know about you, but this has been a life-changing series for me because the words of Jesus, these bloody words, as Spurgeon puts it, if you've got a red-letter Bible, they are in red, uh, absolutely will transform your life. Well, today we're looking at the finale. We're going to be in chapter 7 and look at verses 13 to 27, go to the end of the chapter. And today what you need to know is this is the finale of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has saved his most passionate and, quite honestly, his hardest words until the end. This is, I know we've gotten a lot of application throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but this is the most applicational section of the sermon. It's as if Jesus is saying in this passage, now that you've heard the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that's ever lived, what are you going to do about it? This passage really, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard 
it's split up into four different sections. It could be four different sermons, but they all really lead to this idea that it's time for the hearers of the Sermon on the Mount to make what I would call a kingdom choice. This is a spoiler alert for you today. And, and you've heard messages like this before. This is nothing new. The difference I pray today is that the Holy Spirit would work in some of us today like he did in the first service. But today, the decision that he's laying out before you is, are you going to decide to be on team Jesus or not? Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount by talking about what I'll call four paired alternatives or four choices that really are one and the same that we're supposed to make these life-changing decisions. I did some research this week and I found that, you know, the average person makes about 35,000 decisions a day. 225 of those decisions have to do with food alone. Now in the South, I think you could double that. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, it's probably around 500 decisions that have to do with food alone. I don't know what your decision-making process is. Maybe you flip a coin when you're making a hard decision. Maybe you roll the dice. Maybe uh, you do the classic one, two, three, shoot, you know, and like that's how you make decisions. Where are we going to eat? One, two, three, shoot. Maybe you're very intellectual and you like to get the best answer you can. And so you do something like, Okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Should I do this? Should I do this? Let's see what it says. Uh, concentrate and ask again later. No, no, no. I need an answer now. Should I do this or should I not? Uh, very doubtful. Okay, I won't do it. Y'all know what I'm saying? Maybe you like to go to the Chinese restaurants and Asian restaurants and get a fortune cookie to help you make your decisions. But my prayer for you today is that the decision you make you think through this. Uh, use your mind and use your heart, in a sense, to think through whether or not you're going to make this choice. See, life is filled with choices. Life is filled with these forks in the road, so to speak, with life-changing decisions. And you need to understand this about this choice that you need to make today, possibly if you're in here or you're joining us online, is that the vein of this is all throughout Scripture. In a culture where we try to make everyone think that we need to be more non-binary, understand this, that Scripture is very binary when it comes to this choice. In its essence, it speaks to this in so many places. In the Old Testament, Joshua 25, 15 says, you got to choose which God you will serve. In Psalm chapter 1, it says, you can choose the way of wickedness or the way of righteousness. Doesn't give another option. There's two choices. Proverbs 15, 19, choose the way of the slacker or the upright. Deuteronomy 30 says, you have the choice of life or death, blessing or curse. And of course, it encourages us to choose life, to love God, to obey God, and to remain faithful to Him because after all, He is life. Well, Matthew chapter 7 Verses 13 through 27 reiterates the same choice. It lays out a series of four choices or forks in the road. And here's the idea behind it. You are required to make a decision on this. This decision 
will absolutely impact your eternity forever. That's what eternity is, forever. So let's go to Matthew 7. Let's start in verse 13. Let's look at these familiar passages of Scripture. You've heard them preached on before. And let's take a look at what Jesus is really saying. Are you all with me? Say, I am. It says this in verse 13. Here's the closing to the Sermon on the Mount, the altar call, if you will. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The first thing Jesus talks about is two gates. And he talks about people that go through what he refers to as a narrow gate, or those who follow Jesus, and then on the other hand, those that go through the broad gate and the broad road, and that refers to anyone who hasn't put their trust in Christ. Here Jesus is dealing with an idea that has been around since men and women have been created, this idea of what's known as pluralism. Maybe you've heard it talked about in the term universalism. And what he's saying is right out the gate is this idea of pluralism and universalism is completely false. The idea that all religions lead to heaven, there are many paths to God, all religions include some truth, and there's different ways to get to heaven. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, no. The Bible speaks to this too. I love the Bible because it's so consistent in these major things like this. Proverbs 14, 12 There is a way that appears right to a man, but its end is the way of death. John chapter 14, verse 6, a very recognizable verse. Jesus once again makes very clear this idea of the exclusivity of Christ. Listen to what he says. I am the way, okay, the way. Notice Jesus did not say a way. I am a way. It's singular. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, this narrow path. So Jesus opens, and he says, you can be like everyone else. You can follow the broad road. By the way, most people take this road. Many enter through this gate, and many people go to hell because they want a less restrictive way of life. Or you can be different. You can follow Jesus. And notice what Jesus says. Enter the gate. Not admire the gate. Not contemplate the gate. The idea is very similar to when Jesus called his disciples. He didn't say, hey, you want to think about following me? What did he do? He said, follow me. Come and follow me. Enter the gate. Make a decision. Decide today who your God is going to be, is the idea. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. I want to read this to you in what's known as the ERV version. And it's a great version of the Bible. If you're ever having trouble understanding a passage, it's literally called the easy-to-read version. And it summarizes what this passage means. Listen to what it says. God wants everyone to be saved and to fully understand the truth. There is only one God, and there is only one way that people can reach God. That way is through Christ Jesus, who as a man gave himself to pay for everyone to be free. This is the message that was given to us at just the right time. Understand this today, y'all. 
Some of you, I have no doubt, have been thinking to yourself, is it really Jesus? Some of you have never put your trust in Christ and you're wondering, you're kicking the tires. You're thinking about this whole Christianity thing and following Jesus. I don't know how God could be any clearer to you because you're sitting in Revolution Church on a Sunday morning right now hearing the gospel presented in so many clear ways. Sometimes we like to look for signs in our life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This past week, God made a very clear sign for all of us uh, because during one of the sunsets in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is what happened. Look at this picture. Is that, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. I don't know if we're going to win the national championship, but are we going to beat Alabama? Yes. I think that's a pretty clear sign that we will beat Georgia. Is everybody with me? Amen. Clear-cut sign. Clear-cut sign. End of the Sermon on the Mount. Four different things where Jesus is clarifying what he's saying. You've been thinking about this. Here's your sign. God is being very clear with you. And I believe God is drawing you to himself with what he's speaking to you today. He says you got to go through the narrow gate. Now I don't want to I don't want to paint this as all candy and rainbows, right? I want to be very clear with you. One translation when it talks about the narrow gate says for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Another translation says the way, which is what Christianity is referred to in the New Testament over and over, the way is difficult that leads to life and those who find it are few. I'm not telling you today that if you get on the narrow path and put your trust in Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. In fact, I'll guarantee you that all hell will break loose in your life. And you'll see how that ties in as we get to the end of this passage. It is not easy. We don't follow Jesus because it's easy. We follow Jesus because we love him. The only way you can stay on the narrow path is with the lamp of God's word. You notice that? You know why the broad path is broad? Because you're walking around in the dark. And it has to be broad because you're tripping over here. You get sideways this way. The narrow path, the only way you can stay on it, as you'll see, is with the lamp of God's word. So Jesus opens his closing by saying, you have a choice, and the choice is yours. Destruction or life. Essentially what he's saying is, you can choose hell, or you can choose heaven. Is everybody with me? Say, I am. Verse 15, he continues. And watch where he takes the conversation in the sermon. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, 
Jesus talks about two trees. And on one side, he's talking about teachers that are the good trees with the good fruit that preach the truth of God's word and the true gospel. And on the other side, he's talking about the bad trees with the bad fruit that preach and teach lies. So the reality is most people who follow the broad path through the wide gate have been drawn away from the true path by false teachers. You've listened to someone, you've read a book by someone, uh, you've, you've had a teacher in your life. Maybe that was when you went to university and went to college, you heard someone or someone in high school was teaching you complete falsehoods and lies. Maybe there's been a preacher that's spoken into your life or a leader that has spouted off some type of deceptive lies and now you're completely deceived. They taught you that there was a broad path. They said things like, I don't know what's some popular ones today, follow your truth. We don't follow your truth. We follow the truth of God's word. You know, there's many different ways you can end up in heaven. I've noticed this in 10 years of ministry. I heard somebody say once, when you turn on the light, the bugs come. When you turn on the light, the bugs come. In other words, one thing that Jesus is saying here is false prophets show up when growth from preaching truth shows up. I'm not trying to make y'all paranoid but one of the things we try to do here at Revolution Church, this is why we go verse by verse, is we want you to be equipped to be able to, when you're hearing teaching, to be able to know whether it's truth or not. Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and he's saying this for a reason, because he knows in the crowd he's speaking to, there's some of them in there, they're wolves. Ravenous wolves, not gentle sheep. You need to be careful. Some people look nice. They could even be charismatic, good attitudes, have a beautiful smile, be very charming. But it's only fleece deep. You take the fleece off and underneath there is a monster that is ready to destroy your life. Take inventory of what it is you're listening to. The book of Revelation essentially says that these false prophets look like lambs, but they speak like dragons. Again, it's fleece deep. They're not true believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15 says this about these false teachers. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, listen to this revelation from the book of Corinthians, y'all. And no wonder... For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Isn't it interesting that every major Christian cult that has ever been started, and it's not even Christian cults, you can apply this to Buddhism, you can apply this to so many other things, you can apply this to uh, Muslims, uh, you know, Islam, that every one of them, a prophet was visited by an angel of light that brought them a completely false gospel other than the biblical gospel. Joseph Smith with Mormonism, visited by an angel of light. They teach a completely different Jesus than the biblical Jesus. Jehovah Witnesses, the founder, visited by an angel of light. Muhammad, visited by an angel of light. Completely different gospel than the gospel of grace that's in the Bible. 
Buddha, he was in a cave visited by a bean. He says, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, it is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Jesus says, judge them by their fruit. Does anybody know anybody in their life that owns chickens at their house? Does anybody raise your hand if you know somebody that has chickens? Have you ever noticed? Follow me on this example. It's kind of all over the place. Um, But when somebody has chickens, eventually the chickens start laying eggs, and that person will give eggs away to anybody. Have you ever noticed that? And the way you know they have chickens is they're bringing dozens and dozens of eggs to work or to church or whatever to give them away just to get rid of them because they have too many eggs. That's how you know they have chickens. Well, if I said to you, I have an orange tree in my yard, the way you would know I have an orange tree is not if I bring one orange, because I could buy that at Food City and say, see, look, here's the fruit from my orange tree. If I started bringing crates of oranges and giving them away to everyone, it would be proof to you that I actually have an orange tree in my yard. This is the idea here. The fruit is proof that they're a good tree, if that makes sense. Now, I know a couple weeks ago, We made very clear what that passage was talking about, but we talked about not judging, right? Isn't it interesting that a few verses later, Jesus is saying, you got to judge which kind of tree it is. When you're listening, you better be picking apart doctrine, making sure that what you're hearing is truth and what your family is hearing is truth. If you're not comfortable judging, then just think of it this way. You're a fruit inspector. You're just a fruit inspector. You're inspecting fruit. You know? If if they've got apples and they say they have an orange tree, something's off. Whole lot of common sense in this. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Not super complicated. The idea here is false prophets can fool people, but they cannot fool Jesus. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus continues. Let's look at two other things. It says in verse 21, y'all with me? Say, I am. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, just like last service, as I read this, like I'm fighting back tears. Because I know so many people in my life that when I inspect their fruit, there's a possibility they're going to stand before God one day and He's going to say this to them. This should do the same to you. As we read this, you should be thinking about your sons and your daughters that don't know Christ, your coworkers, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your parents. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Here, Jesus talks about two responses. 
And he talks about, on the one hand, there's the ones who do the will of the Father in heaven. In other words, they're following the narrow path. In other words, they're listening to sound biblical teaching and, and teaching it themselves with their lives and their mouths. And on the other hand, there's those that act like a Christian on the outside, but have no change on the inside. They're still lost. He's talking about the danger of a non-sincere verbal profession of faith. What do you mean by that, Josh? I mean the people that go to church, and you may even have good intentions, and you may even mean well, but it looks something like this in America. And this is why at Revolution Church, we're so careful not to do this because we don't want to enable non-sincere decision-making. Why do you not have altar calls like at my old church? And why don't you play music at the end? Because we're not trying to work nobody. But the idea is, you know, you go to youth camp, you're at a VBS, and I'm not saying that this can't happen and be real, but let's be honest. Most of the time, it's not real. Sunday morning service, it's very emotional. You go up front, you make a profession of faith, but as soon as you get home, there's no change. Within 24 hours, you're back to the same old life, same old lifestyle, same everything that you were doing before. I'm not judging. I'm just inspecting fruit, y'all. Are y'all with me? Say amen. People that say the right things about the Lord, but they don't submit to the authority of the Lord. People that have eternal language without eternal life. This comes down to what Jesus is saying, and you've heard this before, right? Jesus is saying there are those that have religion without relationship. What does he say? I will say to them, I never knew you. You ever thought about that? God knew every single one of us, the Bible says, before we were even formed in the womb. He created every single one of us. He knows us. So what he, speak, what he is speaking to here is relationally, I never knew you. You never had a relationship with me. Rest assured, you can have religion you can go to church. You can live in Crossville in the great nation of the U.S. in the Bible Belt. You can make a verbal profession of faith and all those things. And Jesus could still look at you and say, I never knew you. How do you know him? You get born again. You surrender everything to Christ. You allow him to make you a new creation. You know, in the corporate world, we have this saying, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. Y'all ever heard that saying before? In other words, you know, if you know someone at a company that can get you an interview, 
Uh, you might be able to get an interview and get that job when there's someone else with more degrees that's more qualified that doesn't get the interview and doesn't get the job, but because you knew someone, you had an in. This is what Jesus is saying here. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know that gets you into heaven. I don't care how much you come to church. I don't care how much scripture you've memorized. I don't care how much you gave to the building fund. If you don't know the person of Jesus relationally on a personal level, all that stuff's for ruin. And you will not get into heaven. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Jesus says some people say things Christians say. Some people do things Christians do, but it's all fake. The idea is just because someone claims the name of the king doesn't mean they're members of the kingdom. And here it is. You see this thread throughout all these points. Fake Christians can fool people, but they cannot fool Jesus. What did he say? I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You pick something else up in this. It'd be good for us to remember that Jesus is not just the Savior of the world. He's also the judge of the world. If you're here and you've ever thought, what am I going to say when I stand before Christ one day? More importantly, what is he going to say to me? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, depart from me, I never knew you? God is speaking clearly to you today. Do y'all get the urgency of Jesus' words? Y'all get the urgency? Do you see that he's being very clear that you cannot sit idly by when it comes to this decision? Neutrality is not an option in this. You cannot sit on the fence. You have to make a choice about who Jesus is in your life. You can't ride on the coattails of your parents' faith. How good Pastor Josh is and how much this church grows doesn't mean squat when it comes to whether or not you've made Jesus Lord of your life. Is everybody with me? Say amen. He continues. And here's the last part when he talks about two foundations. Great passage. You've heard sermons on every one of these four things we've talked about. But again, they're really talking about the same thing. And you have to understand, and you'll really see as we tie it together here, you're going to have to understand the context of these four things and how they tie together. He says in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Uh, for the sake of this, wisdom, let me give you a definition. Wisdom is the ability to apply biblical truths to everyday life. Okay? The ability to apply biblical and spiritual truths to every situation that you find yourself in. That's really what wisdom is defined as. Okay? Um, and so he says, 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus has finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Two foundations. One foundation, Jesus says, is people that build their lives, among other things, this is kind of metaphorically right, on the truth of God's word and Jesus' teaching. And then on the other side of this, there's people that build their lives on sand, which is the world's ways or their own ways. Now notice, Jesus is making clear that when it comes to these two houses, you can look at them and they look the exact same when you glance at them on the outside. You have to look at what's under the house to see what the house is built on. I read this off of a construction website, and I'm not kidding. This was on a secular construction website. A strong building starts with a strong foundation, meaning the way it is anchored to the ground. I think they stole that from Scripture. Jesus is saying, if you want a well-built life, then it starts with a strong foundation. If you want a well-built family, it starts with a strong foundation. If you want a well-built marriage, you build it on the foundation of God's word and his truth. If you want a well-built relationship with Jesus, it starts by building your house on the rock. Notice the revelation in the difference of the houses is what happens in the middle of a storm. You guys see this? One blows over because it's built on sand. The other stands strong because it's built on rock. Now, if we tie this directly to what we just heard Jesus say when he talked about people that are religious, but they have no relationship, what is Jesus saying here? There are those that attempt to build a house, a relationship with Jesus. And everything's good until the storm comes and blows that house over and they walk away from God. Let me help you applicationally. We get these questions all the time. I know somebody. They were really involved in church. They took their kids every single week. Notice the religion aspect of this. They, they went to small group. They did all this stuff. But then something crazy happened in their life and they walked away from God. They never knew God. You can call it backslid. You can call it whatever you want to call it. We've tried to minimize this in the church for years, right? You made a profession of faith when you were seven years old or a teenager or something like that. You lived like hell. You didn't give God a thought. This is just another one of those scriptures that's telling us you probably did not know Jesus. 
You made an insincere verbal profession of faith, but you weren't changed on the inside. Is everybody with me saying amen? You understand what Jesus is saying here? This past week, I got on Amazon and uh, I was going to try to find my son a baseball bat because he's grown in the last year and he had a 29-inch baseball bat. He needs a 31-inch bat now. And uh, first, let me tell you this. I understand why people are addicted to travel ball because where your treasure is, there your heart is. And I don't know if you know this, but there are $500 baseball bats for freaking 12-year-olds, y'all. Sorry for saying freaking, but 12-year-olds, you know what I mean? $1,000 bat? If I paid $1,000 for a baseball bat for my 10-year-old, you better believe we're going to every single stinking game, and you're going to use that thing, and you better hit a home run or you're grounded. Y'all know what I mean? Like, goodness gracious, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So I get it. If you're addicted to that stuff, and you spend that kind of money on your 12-year-old, like, come on, man. I know they ain't got a job, and they're paying for that, you know? So, so that was the first thing I noticed, but I did find some bats that I could afford, you know, 25 50 bucks. I thought about this this week. Every single bat I looked at, what do you think one of the first things I did when I looked at it was? What do you do when you get on Amazon and you're thinking about buying something? What's one of the first things you do when there's a bunch of different choices? You read the reviews. You look at the reviews, don't you? And if one bat has five reviews and three stars, you go back to the next page and you try to find another one. Maybe that has a thousand reviews and 4.5 stars. And that's the one you get based off the reviews. Well, you're here this weekend. You're kicking the tires of Christianity, like I said. You don't know about going in on this whole Jesus thing and following Christ. We get it. But allow us to give you some reviews. We call these like testimonies in the church. And they're going to come in the way of, as I say these things, if you're in here and you're a believer and you've put your trust in Christ and God has done these things in your life, then we need to get like the amen meter all the way up to red. Y'all know what I'm saying? So that this is a testimony and a witness to those that are in here right now that are completely unsure of whether or not they even know Christ. So if you're in here and... And you put your trust in Christ. And at some point in your life, Jesus has set you free from addiction. Say amen. Mm, amen for me. If you're in here, we can do better than that, y'all. And Jesus literally has like, at some point, you got no way to explain it other than the fact that Jesus saved your marriage at some point. Say amen. If you're in here... And you can literally say, like I heard this testimony last week, Donald LaBarge, where's Donald LaBarge at? Where you at, Donald? Donald's right there, pink shirt, can't miss him. It's salmon, not pink, right? And so there he is. He comes walking in. He comes walking in. He's like, Pastor, I got to tell you something. God healed me. And I'm like, what do you mean God healed you? He's like, well, I've been, I asked him before service if I could say this, and I didn't know if I was going to, but he's like, man, I've been on uh, ADHD medicine, right? For 30 years or something like that. Well, the pharmacy screwed up, and I've been off of it for a week, and my doctor's like, you don't need it no more. He's completely healed me. I can't believe it. I, was, I had to take this stuff for 30 years, and now God has completely healed me. If God has ever healed you of something, say amen. If God has ever set you free of something, say amen. If God has ever healed you from the pain that you felt emotionally in some way, shape, or form, say amen. 
If you've been through something crazy hard in your life and you literally knew that in your own strength there was no way you could get through it, so the only reason you're still standing is because Jesus propped you up, say amen. There's your reviews. You're here this weekend. You've been thinking about this. Here's your sign in the clouds. Jesus is drawing you to himself. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you an opportunity to make this choice. And I'm just going to be straight up with you. I'm going to make this as uncomfortable as I can. And let me tell you why. I have absolutely no desire to participate in building houses that are built on sand that are going to blow away a month, two months, three months, six months from now. I know how to manipulate you. I know how to use psychological tricks to get you to raise your hand. To be quite honest with you, it's not that hard to get a bunch of people to check a box that says, I received Christ as my Savior today. But what we found over 10 years is almost every single one of those fall away from Christ because they're built on sand. So I have no desire to boost my ego by getting a whole bunch of people to make a false profession of faith and send you guys home going, boy, that was a good sermon. Did you see how many people responded? I'm completely prepared. If not one person in here responds to this, that is totally fine with me. I'm at peace. I've studied to show myself approved. I've presented the gospel in so many ways to you so clearly. It's not on me anymore. I'm okay with that. I'm planting seed. Maybe somebody else is going to grow it and it's going to harvest it. You all know what I'm saying? Everybody with me? So it's fine. I'm not going to play any music. I'm not going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're just going to ask this simple question. Who here today needs to make the choice to follow Jesus? Just going to wait a little bit. Is there anyone here today that needs to make the choice to put your trust in Christ? That's your chance. Every time somebody scratches their nose, I think you're raising your hand. I've got an amount of time that I'm going to wait. And then we'll pray and we'll get out of here. Is there anybody in here? You got religion, but no relationship. I'm doing it this way because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you to my Father in heaven. Every single time he called someone to follow him, he did it publicly, not in private. So it's uncomfortable, I get it.
If this is a rededication, don't raise your hand. But if you need Christ, raise your hand. Keep your hand up. If you got it up. I'll decide what to do next based on how many people raise their hand. I see you, bro. See you guys. See you. Anybody else? It's okay to look at them. I said it's going to be uncomfortable. Okay, see ya. Who do I got in here? If you're my, if you're on my staff or an elder, will you raise your hand for me, please? You're an elder in here. Uh, okay, put your hands down if you raised them, and if you're a staff or elder person, raise your hands in here. Okay, well, you guys stand up. Donovan, you stand up, too. We need your help, too. Stand up. Oliver, stand up. I want to see how many I got. I got four. Bill, come on, man. Yeah, for sure. These are people that are on my staff. Okay, you guys that raised your hand, just raise them back. Sorry, this isn't very... Can you guys go find someone of the same gender and just stand with them real quick? I know y'all didn't sign up for this today. I didn't tell you beforehand. If it was like a bunch of people, I was going to lead it myself, but... And don't do anything yet. I'll pray in a minute. Just find somebody that's the same gender. Keep your hand up if your hand was raised. Donovan, just put your hand on buddy's shoulder right there. Brooke, one right there. Oh, you're with one right there. Okay. Anybody else? We don't have any. Yeah, Pastor Bill, thank you. We got you covered, bro. Pastor Bill's going to pray with you. Sorry, I may go a little over. Matt, you and Alyssa, come here. Alyssa, you go pray with that young lady back there, please. Did I miss anybody? Anybody got their hand raised? You see her back there, Alyssa? Thank you. I don't mean to make an uncomfortable day, but sometimes God makes us uncomfortable. Emmanuel, anybody else? Just raise your hand. Anybody else? I got one more staff person. Maybe there's one more person <laughs> that needs to raise their hand. Anybody else? If it's a rededication, talk to us later. If you already know Jesus, but you just feel bad because you've been doing wrong, talk to us later. Right there. Okay. Do we have a women's small group leader in here? Kayla, you go sit with her. Anybody else? I know we never do this, y'all. Do we? Have y'all ever seen us do anything like this? God was just very specific with me about what to do right now. Anybody else? Give it a few more seconds. Anybody else? Anybody else? You won't be the first one at least if you need to raise your hand. We'll pray with you. We'll lead you to the Lord. Counsel you. Uh, I'm going to pray. And you guys that are standing with someone, if you guys will just like go through the Romans road with them, you know, tell them about what it means to be saved, what they can expect in the future, and so on and so forth. Um, does that make sense? I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done, and everybody's dismissing, just sit next to them and uh, pray with them and lead them in a prayer of uh, knowing Jesus, okay? Let's pray, y'all. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for what you're doing at Rev Church. I know this is unusual, um, but Lord, I, my prayer all week has just been, man, Just uh, people would really know you. Not just 
come to church, but know you. And so God, uh, we just give this time to you. I pray for the people that are going to pray with folks, that you just lead them in their words and what they're supposed to say. I pray that the enemy does not come in and still kill and destroy and make people think, man, they're freaky weird at this church. We are, but this is not typical at Revolution Church. We typically don't. I can't even remember a time we've done this. So uh, I pray we walk out of here today celebrating. I pray for those that are putting their trust in Christ that, that you would be with them and protect them so that when the storms come, the house don't get blown over. I pray for those today that have already put their trust in you, the majority of people in this room, the overwhelming majority, that today we would like we should walk away with an appreciation. Man, God save me. I was sitting in that seat one day in need of Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We love you guys. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.